We're almost crossing over to the middle of this glorious letter. Well, if you had parents who were mature and wise in parenting, then you know they held you accountable as a member of the family. You had privileges and responsibilities as you grew that grew with you. And if your upbringing was anything like mine, there would be times of parental confrontation. Uh Uh-oh. When mom or dad would come and say, I need to speak with you. Well, that would alert you to the fact that there was going to be a talking to. Well, sometimes these talking to's would be pretty mild, but every now and then, they'd be really intense, especially if both parents wanted to confront me. You know, it was a great blessing to be a Gwen growing up, but there was more to my family responsibilities than just introducing myself by the name. There were the appropriate words and the actions expected as a member of the family. And some of those occasions of being confronted with a talking to ended up being a verbal spanking, a tongue lashing. Well, as we go deeper into this letter to the Hebrews, we have this parenthetical pause in the letter where the author of Hebrews is giving a verbal spanking to the church there. The Hebrew church, for not living out the duties and the responsibilities that flow from the calling in the new life in Christ Jesus. And we know that the author loves this church. He has a deep heart for them. He's got a deep and abiding pathos for them. He is scared for them. He gets intense with them. He wants to see them grow into the fullness of what it means to be in Christ. So he confronts them. And calls them to repent of their spiritual immaturity. He deals with them based upon their spiritual covenantal laziness. And calls them to the absolute necessity of growing mature in Christ. And you know there's really something tragic and pathetic about an adult. When he or she still acts like a child. Because maturity is part of life. Physical and spiritual. We're born and then we grow. We mature. We grow in and we live out the duties and the obligations of what it means to be alive, to be in a family, to be in the family of God. Well, our text here this morning is so appropriate for the Western church and evangelicalism in our country because the landscape that we see around us of the church at large is scarred with spiritual immaturity all around us. We do not have a visible, strong, head, heart, hand Christianity driven to grow in holiness. No, we really see more and more of the church at large giving over to spiritual ease, giving over to the entertainment-focused world to, to have personal peace and to have your best life now without a care for eternity and the Lord in the future. Well, this is the hard news that we need to hear. Even us, the sin of Christian immaturity is a fungus among the church that smothers her and diminishes her witness and her legacy that keeps her from maturing and growing and bearing witness with word and life. And we must repent and turn back to the Lord 
because we are being discipled to be disciplers. We are receiving the witness of Christ to go forth and be witnesses. So hear God's word. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 3. The word of the Lord for you and me. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The word of the Lord, may he write it upon our hearts and souls and display it in our lives. Well, that brings us to our first main point this morning, brothers and sisters. The Lord warns believers about the calamity and the danger of spiritual immaturity. That's what we see in verses 11 to 14. The author has building his case here, showing forth the glory of Christ, the great high priest, who's the king of righteousness, the savior, but he has to pause and turn to warning the church about spiritual immaturity. Turning away from the glory of Christ and turning to the depressing reality that the church is immature. And what we see are the results of spiritual immaturity. They're described here by the author. He says, you have become dull of hearing. Verse 11. You know, God the Father has spoken with perfect clarity through his glorious special revelation and his witness about the Lord Jesus Christ and the way of salvation. But the church has the ears of her heart clogged up because they're more concerned about their temporal circumstances and what's taking place around them and their own selfish desires than the desire and the plan of the Lord for their lives and for their community. The ears of their heart are clogged. And so the author wants to to keep pressing the wonderful, glorious, majestic truth about Jesus, the the wonderful, glorious message about the the covenant of redemption and the reality of the the covenant of works that Adam failed and broke and yet Christ fulfilled and brings forth the covenant of grace through his blood. But he has to stop. They can't hear it because they are stunted in their spiritual maturity, in their spiritual growth. They can't hear. And he says, you see, you have an unrealized goal, brothers and sisters. You all should be teachers, but you're still infants. Verse 12, what happened? This body has been in the incubator of the early church. With all the blessings and the wonder of that, these believers have been in the church for quite some time. 
enjoying the blessings of the church, enjoying the blessings of, of special revelation and the means of grace, they should be teaching others the truth of God's grace and word, but they still need to be taught what he calls the basic principles, the oracles of God. And here he's pointing to the reality that these Jewish Christians, they need to go back to the ABCs of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Remember, Paul says of his own people, the Jews, Brothers and sisters, you are God's chosen people. You've been given the oracles of God. You've been given the promises of God. And out from among you comes forth the Messiah to save the people of God. You're blessed in every way. You are disciples in the womb of the church. You should be going forth proclaiming the truth and teaching others. But you need to be taught. You see, they should have been the great sequoia tree standing in the midst of the nations, providing blessing and teaching and calling people to faith and repentance, discipling the nations. But instead of being a great sequoia tree, they're a little sapling. There's something wrong with this. Because through the gift of God's word written, the Old Testament, and through the gift of God's word proclaimed through the apostolic ministry, the preaching of the apostles, and the New Testament letters that were being circulated during this time, they had everything that they needed steeped in Christianity 101 to be the witnesses God had saved them to be and called them to be. They knew the essence of what it meant to be born again and redeemed, to be saved by God's grace, by the word of truth, by the spirit of truth, through the Christ, to press forth through a life of faith and repentance, to live out this before the watching world, to make profession, to put off the old, to put on the new, to walk in the way of obedience, new obedience, day by day, and faith and hope and love and community in the church. Doesn't this sound familiar? Christianity 101. You know, I'm continually amazed at the level of of blessing and opportunities and resources that we have as the modern church with all the blessings that we have. And we, just like them, are without excuse for our spiritual immaturity. Well, this community of believers was spiritually immature and thus they could not live out their responsibilities as the redeemed in Christ, as part of the family of God, called to bear the name of Christ in such a way that out of their new life essence flowed new life actions. They don't have them, like teaching and witnessing. You've been discipled to go forth and disciple others. What a scathing indictment. Well, now he describes their spiritual immaturity through an illustration. He's described it, now he illustrates it in verse 13. The results of spiritual immaturity illustrated. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. What a scathing indictment. You should be sitting at the table cutting your steak with your own knife and putting it in your mouth with your own fork, mature, feeding upon the mature word of the Lord and teaching others, but you're an adult baby. 
who still needs the bottle put into your mouth. I mean, these words are hard, aren't they? But they're spoken in love. He says, you all can't handle anything other than milk. I mean, think about it, brothers and sisters. We don't want our babies to stay on milk. They need more complex protein and carbohydrates that they might build up muscle and grow and develop so that they can do for themselves and they can do for others in service. Well, don't misunderstand the author here. We never get past the milk of the gospel. When we're born again, we crave the milk of the word of God as a newborn baby craves milk. The glorious milk of the gospel message that through the the person and work of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, our great king, the word of God in the flesh and, and his life for us, applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we're saved, we're sanctified. The glorious truth of the gospel that we come alive to the reality of our sin and our bankruptcy and our need for a savior and we see him and we love him And by faith we repent and turn to him and receive him. We're declared righteous and forgiven and we begin that new life of sanctification. Seeking to do God's will. Seeking to live out his word before the watching world. Well, the basics of the gospel are never left behind. But with growth comes more biblical learning and living the maturity of the Christian life, living more faithfully and skillfully. Do you see how he phrases this? But these believers who should have been mature are unskilled in the word of righteousness because they cannot and they do not use the word of God to both shape them and train them to do and to live the word. Now, this is a basic Christian principle as we read God's word and live in this world. The right interpretation of any scripture text is its right application in our lives. For those who were born again in Christ, we've been given a new nature, new desires, and a new power to be doers of the word. Seems pretty basic, doesn't it? Christianity 101, to be doers of the word, to live out of our new nature. To obey God, to be skilled in right doing. You know, an example like, don't lie. You know, it's number nine of God's top ten. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. So what do we do? We strive by God's word and his spirit to put off a lying tongue and to speak truth. That's to be skilled in righteousness. And you know, the Bible says if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault. You go and tell him his fault. So that if he has sinned against you, he can confess it and be forgiven and peace is restored to do the word. That's to be skilled in the word of righteousness. It's pretty much basic Christianity. Born again to a living faith and hope to live it out before the watching world, to do the word. But brothers and sisters, how many of us, even this month or perhaps this past week, feeling that we've been sinned against and by a certain individual, instead of going to them, we go to somebody else and complain about them and run them down. That is not to be skilled in the word of God and the word of righteousness. 
Well, that's just two little examples of spiritual immaturity, but there are thousands of them. And they all bear a horrible witness before the watching world, don't they? But this shouldn't be because Christ was perfect and pure in all of his living for us. He is the righteous one. He is the law of God personified for us. He kept the law for us in each and every way so that he could become our lion of righteousness, so that he could go forth as our lamb upon the cross to cleanse us of our sins through the blessed exchange. We receive all his glorious goodness and we receive that justification in him and he receives our pain and our sin and our shame, the truth of the gospel that we live out so that by the Spirit we struggle and strive knowing Christ, knowing the gospel, knowing the word to live and to speak and to think in ways that please the Lord. Well, the author moves on from the painful and obvious description and illustration of spiritual immaturity to a comparison of the mature with the immature. That's what we see in verses 14. The results of spiritual immaturity contrasted with the results of spiritual maturity. He says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He says solid food is for those who are born again. That they would strive and grow up and and they're trained and they they develop a more muscular Christianity. They have a a better spiritual mindedness. They have a, a greater discernment. They're trained in the ways of the word so that they can see in the world good and evil. They know the good and they know the evil and they know how to act and practice the Christian life before the watching world in the way that they think and speak and live. This really fills out the picture of of Christian maturity, doesn't it? Looking into the word, looking into the word of righteousness to be trained that we might be discerning as we then look into the fallen world so that we live in the right way whether it be at our our house or in our church or in our workplace or in our neighborhood or wherever, discernment between good and evil, it must become experiential and practical, not just theoretical. You know, you can study all about cars, how the engine works, the gas pedal, the brake, the steering, the chassis, all that. But until you put that knowledge into practice, it's just theoretical. It's not experiential. It's not practical. And so as we stand upon the Word of God, filling up our minds and our hearts and our souls on the truth of it, the truth of the gospel, then we ask the question that Francis Schaeffer asked all the time, how then shall we live? And we begin to live. And we begin to live out the Word. And this comes from the new birth that we have. And then we are matured and we practice the Christian life day by day and over and over again with discipline and commitment to strive by grace to live out God's word in this broken and scary world. And that could be a scary thing. Each and every day as we try to put on the word of God and live it out, that it becomes practical, experiential Christian living. You know, I'll never forget my 15th birthday. 
the day that I got my learner's permit. And for whatever reason, we had to go all the way to Noonan to do this. And you know how back then, the learner's permit, you didn't have to drive a car for anybody. You just came in and took a written test, and they'd give you this thing. And somehow, someway, I talked my mother into letting me drive home. And she certainly had a momentary lapse of reason. Because it became the scariest ride of her life. But I had read about driving. I had been on a riding lawnmower. I'd been on a a go-kart and certainly a golf cart being a Peachtree City kid. But now I was in the big brown station wagon. And literally the rubber was meeting the road. And I was all over the place. I scared my mom. I scared those around me. But you know what? Praise the Lord. Over 35 years of driving, I've become rather skilled and trained through the process to make it through even crazy hot Lana on the connector, which should just be called 95 because everybody's going 95, and making it safely through that speedway. So the point, brothers and sisters, it comes down to this. As we consider our own lives, we're standing upon the foundation of God's grace for us in Christ Jesus in the grips of his grace, by the power of his spirit, given his word, we're new creatures. And then day by day, we make a practice of living that out. Living out who we are before this watching world in Jesus Christ. Certainly we don't do that perfectly. We're broken. We're being healed and grown in sanctification. So it's a process of, of failure. And then repentance and faith and forgiveness. It, it begins again every moment, every day. With discipline, we live out the Christian life before the world in community. And we must ask ourselves the question as we come to this text, brothers and sisters. How are we doing? Where are we in this journey? Are we among the camp of the spiritually immature are we among the camp of the spiritually mature, growing in our lives? Are we mature men and mature women in Christ? If we are, then hallelujah. It's all of grace. Because I fear as we look around at American Christianity, this is not the way it is in the majority. I fear that what the church at large in America has embraced is what Diedrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Cheap grace. This is what he writes. Quote, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Close quote. How sad. Cheap grace and the, the rampant spiritual immaturity of our culture today is to rehearse the name of Christ as Savior, but denying the power and responsibility of manifesting that name to the world. But hallelujah, brothers and sisters, the elect in Christ live in the grips of Christ's love for us. The power of his spirit wells up within us and gives us not just a holy admonition here to turn away from cheap grace, but exhorts us to repent and receive yet again, to mature, to grow up, 
And that brings us to our second main point this morning. The Lord exhorts believers to grow up into spiritual maturity by living out of their union with Christ and the community of Christ. That's what we see in verses 1 to 3. The author says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Literally what he is saying is, This is settled. The foundational elementary doctrine of Christ and salvation, it's settled. So let's get busy moving on out of the reality of this settled, glorious, eternal truth of the gospel. He says, leave the discussion, leave the logos, as it were, the elementary doctrine of Christ. Not that we are to depart from Christ because we can't do this. He is the, the living logos. He is the word of God in the flesh. He's telling us to depart from the childlike babbling of the name of Christ without living out the glorious growing responsibilities of bearing that name before our families and before this world in the holy body of Christ. To illustrate this, let me put it to you this way in in a modern evangelical slogan that is true and nevertheless is often abused. How often have you heard the statement, we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day? Amen. That's true. We must. But if you preach the gospel to yourself every day to excuse your sin so that you're not growing up into spiritual maturity, that's wrong. Absolutely. You should preach the gospel to yourself as a way of exposing your sin, to destroy it, to run away from it to Christ, not as an excuse to sin more. Well, this author says we must go on to maturity. This is such an important word. He's already used it before in the letter. The Greek word is telos. You must Go on to maturity, to tell us. See, there's a, a full development. There is a, a divine goal and plan for you and for me and for every Lamb of God in Christ Jesus. And that's to grow up to our purpose, to be mature in the Lord, to live out a, a mature witness before the watching world. He's saying that we can't lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. There's only one foundation. There's only one rock of ages. There's only one salvation. Christ, he is our glorious foundation and a foundational path that we walk along that holds us up. You see, we're on this path of life, this foundation, but we have to keep moving. You get onto a path, not so you can stop and clog up the way, but you get on it to go somewhere. So we're moving. We're moving down that foundational path of walking in Christ Jesus, in the power of his spirit and by the power of his word at work within us. So as the Apostle Paul declared to the Colossians, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So here in these opening verses of chapter 3, what we have is kind of like a creedal statement distilled in just a couple of of verses. A creedal statement is a a statement of declarative confessional belief about essential things. I believe. I believe. It's like what Paul gives the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
One God and Father of us all. One grace in Christ. A creedal statement. So here in Hebrews 6, the Lord exhorts us to confess the truth of salvation and our calling as we repent of spiritual immaturity and we press on growing by grace into more and more spiritual maturity. That's what he's calling us to do here. Because you see, the only foundation for spiritual maturity and the sole remedy for spiritual immaturity is this, the one Lord, the one faith and repentance, the one baptism, the one church, the one resurrection, the one judgment, and the one divine will. That's what he's showing us. That's what he's calling us to confess and to live and to believe as we grow in spiritual maturity. The one Lord. There's only one Lord. Only one Savior. Jesus Christ. The Lord and King of the universe. He's the one who built the foundation upon which the church stands. We're told that here in Hebrews, Christ is the builder of his church, the foundation for salvation. And because of Christ, because of the gift of God to us in Christ Jesus, we have the gifts of repentance and faith, and faith and repentance. You can't have true faith without having true repentance, and vice versa. They are two sides of the same coin. And so by God's grace, we are given repentance to turn away from our sins and to believe the gospel call and to receive and rest in Christ alone. And that's not simply to believe the facts about the gospel or just to intellectually assent to the truth of the gospel, but it's to have a loving trust in Christ so that we place our lives in his hands alone. And when we have that, brothers and sisters, we have the glory of the one baptism. That's what he's referring to here with this word of washing, instructions about washings. This is the one and only baptism that brings a man or a woman or a child into the visible church through water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we have the glorious promise of God that he will really and truly do inwardly by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to baptize our hearts and lives, to give us life that we might live out a life of spiritual maturity. And we do that in the one church, in community, the one church. He makes reference to the laying on of hands and setting apart. He's talking about ordination. He's talking about the the leadership of the church. You need elders and deacons to help you in your path of spiritual maturity. And the Lord Jesus Christ gave a charge to his apostles giving them the Holy Spirit and sending them forth to lay hands on qualified, called men to be about the business of preaching and teaching and praying and discipling and shepherding and administering the sacraments and ruling and protecting and always pointing the brothers and the sisters of every local congregation to the glorious hope, the one resurrection that great and glorious hope that fills our hearts, the one resurrection of the dead. Because Jesus has been raised, he promised to raise us, the first fruits of the resurrection. So when we lose a brother or a sister in the faith, we don't grieve as the world does without hope, but we grieve with the hope of Christ, 
resurrected and ascended on high for us. And as we are filled with that hope, brothers and sisters, we will not fear the eternal judgment. This is a serious message. And the author says here, the one eternal judgment. You see, we're all going to be judged. Whether you be a believer or an unbeliever, we're all going to be judged. One, to be judged outside of Christ. Those outside of the Savior will be eternally condemned. But those in Christ will be judged too. And they'll be found in Jesus. And they'll be vindicated before the watching world. And they will enjoy life with Christ forever and ever and ever. And don't you see... This is all because of the one divine will and purpose. To God be the glory alone. He says, and this we will do if God permits. What with fallen humanity, dead spiritually, nothing is possible with the dead. But all things are possible with our great God. And he's given us. The days and the months and the years and the seasons of our lives to heed his call, to obey his command, to come to Christ, to bear his name, to be filled with his spirit, and then to live out a witness before the world. As those who have been discipled, we begin to disciple others. That's what we're called to be about here, brothers and sisters. And we need to remember that the most mature among us There's still works in progress. We're not talking about spiritual perfection here. We're talking about growing in grace. We all deal with spiritual immaturity at some level. But God, who is patient, delights to press upon our hearts with his love for us in Christ, to warm our cold hearts and to warm our lukewarm hearts so that we respond so that we hear his call, so that we're clothing ourselves with the righteousness of his word, that we live a life before the watching world that is pleasing to him in the grips of his grace. So today, as we're considering the the depth and the breadth, the, the seriousness of God's word for us, we have to ask ourselves the question, how are we frustrating God's plan and purpose to mature us spiritually? Think about it. Repent of it. Turn away from it. He'll hear your call. He'll give you what you need. He will encourage you to press on and grow into spiritual maturity. And as that takes place in your life, please turn and encourage one another so that we share life together and we serve together in our lives and we invest time in one another's lives day by day in each other's families. That's why we're trying to get more small groups going so that we can encourage each other all in the grips of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace for us so that we might be that people so transformed by his love that we grow mature and live out his calling before the watching world. Our responsibility, our privilege as sinner saints in the hands of of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord Almighty, we thank you for your word. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. 
it's able to pierce our hearts to the very core of our being. And Lord, we need to be pierced. We need to be convicted, all of us, elders, deacons, brothers and sisters, for we so easily turn away from you and our glorious calling and seek to live like the world. But we can't do that. So we ask that you would fill us afresh with your spirit, breathe life into our cold hearts, cause the the embers, the little flickering embers to, to burn bright in our hearts for you, hearts of love that show forth devotion through obedience, seeking to do the right and put off the wrong and to discern in this world how we're supposed to think and to act and to speak and to live, that we would bear forth a faithful witness for the world needs the church to rise up. Lord, please revive your bride that there would be a great awakening to the things of God in this land. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.